Hey, hey everybody, it's so good to see you, even though I can't see you. It's another beautiful day in the neighborhood, and I'm excited to have you here at the Perseverance Podcast. If you don't know who, know who I am, I'm Kelvin Crosby, as well the Deafblind Potter. And I got a Perseverance Podcast for you. And I'm going to tell you this, you better listen to the end of this. And so, come along with me on this journey, and let's see how this individual perseveres through her challenges. Persevering is what can allow you to overcome. But you have to find joy in the pain that you live with. It's not going to be easy. But the reward and the character that you will build in persevering through your challenges will be so rewarding. It will give you so much Are you ready to persevere through your challenges? Let's do this. Carol Greener, welcome to the Perseverance Podcast. Thank you. I'm grateful to be here. What's fun is you learned about the Perseverance Podcast. How? I had heard Spencer Renfo on your program and just was so blessed by it that I felt that the Lord wanted me to reach out to you. And I'm glad you did. And I'm excited for people to learn your story. Who were your parents? What was their life like? What were some of the challenges they faced? Well, I was born in 1958, and my parents were in Pueblo, Colorado. My father was born in Walsenburg, Colorado. His family came over from Italy. And they were miners. They were in the coal camps down there. So I really didn't know a lot about his family, nor my mother's family. But I just know that he was in a type of situation where there was a lot of alcohol and abuse that he was raised in. His mother died at an early age. He was in the Army. And it was while he was in the Army that his mother died. I did get to know his brothers and one sister They all lived in Pueblo as well. So I had a little bit of knowledge of his family. Now, my mother, she was raised part-time in an orphanage, Catholic orphanage in Denver, Colorado. She didn't even realize until I was in my teens that she had a brother. There was just a lot of unknowns in my mom's family. So my mom met my dad outside of the orphanage. Uh, She was 15, in fact, years old when she met my father, and she had told me that was her way of getting out of this Catholic orphanage because it was a very abusive orphanage where she was at, and she had shared some stories with me. So anyway, that was how they got together. They were married in Pueblo, and my brother was born first. He's four years older than me. So I believe my mom was around 17, maybe, when she had my brother And then I came along about three years later. As you talk about in your story, you talk about how you had a normal childhood. My mom was a stay-at-home mom, and my dad went to work. He was a body shop foreman at a Chevy dealership. But my mom was very involved with my brother and I. I was in dance lessons. He was in music. She always walked us to school. When we'd come home for lunch, she had the lunch prepared. 
the neighborhood kids all came and played at my house because my mom was very involved with all of us. My father, he worked, he came home, dinner was prepared. We sat at the table, we had dinner together. My dad never spent time with us kids. My way of spending time with him was I would go outside and work in the yard with him, working at a body shop. I'd go to work with him and he'd show me different things around the body shop. He showed me how to change a tire. He left a fish. We'd go fishing, camping on weekends. So I would sit right next to him while he was fishing. So we had a relationship, but it was me seeking him out. So it was a good childhood until I reached around 12 years old. And what changed is my mother decided she wanted to go back to school to become a psychiatric technician, which was she could work at the Colorado State Hospital. That was in Pueblo. And she loved working with Down syndrome, special needs children. That was just her desire to do. So she went back to school and I was probably 11 or 12. And that's when my life started changing. My dad was about 19 years older than my mother. So there was a big age gap. And as long as my mom was home and doing wifely and motherly, but as soon as she went back to school, she was very outgoing and friendly. And my dad became very jealous. It was through his jealousy. He always drank, but we never noticed it as kids. But his drinking became more excessive. He started acting out. He started hitting my mother. It was never around us kids. We just started seeing bruises. He tried to run her over. The tension in my household was at high. My dad was just becoming very belligerent in the way he talked to my mother The other side of that, too, is Pueblo back in the day was known as a mafia town, and my dad was in the mafia. He made that very known to us then during this time when he was being violent towards my mother, and he had a gun, and he started flashing his gun around more. Because of this, my mother could not go for help because everybody was afraid of my father. She tried to get help from the priest, which was a Catholic church we attended, priest just told her to go home and try to make it work. So she had nobody to turn to. This then led to your mom deciding, you know, we're done. I'm going to leave. I'm going to take you and your and your brother along. And kind of tell us about what was life like for you through this journey? In life went from daytime to nighttime. I mean, it was a complete different My mom being with me all the time, too, I didn't see her much. We moved across town into a rental. She was working night and going to school during the day because she still had about a year left of her degree. I never saw her, and she was always tired. Our relationship became almost nothing. I was a teenager that kind of revolted because I liked being near my friends. Now, all of a sudden, I'm clear across town. And I don't have anybody to get me back to my friends. My father, he really had nothing more to do with me. I was just lost. It was almost like I was on this island and had nowhere to go. And I was now getting close to the age of 14 years old. And I was pretty much on my own. Starting to seek attention in other ways. What did you end up getting involved in? And what kind of led you down this new path in your life? I started finding other girls that I started hanging out with that were in a situation I was, divorced parents, not getting attention that we were looking for, 
And we were very young girls and we started going to kegs that were held out in the prairie. You know, we'd all meet at a grocery store. We'd hop in the car. The thing that was really a blessing for me is I had an older brother and my older brother would show up and take me out of there, out of these parties. My other girlfriend that I had had an older brother. And if my brother wasn't there, her brother would be there and they would take us out of these parties. We had no idea that, you know, God had given us these older brothers because we should not have been there. But that's what I was doing. I was searching to fill a void that was there and I didn't know what to do. So you come to a point going through high school and then your friend asks you to the prom and you got yourself into a situation. It's almost where I became used to the life now that had changed. And so I started getting more involved in school. I was on the pom-pom squad. I was on a track team. And a friend of mine that I had known, he was a year older than me. I had known him for a couple of years, I think. And he invited me to prom. So we went to prom. He picked me up that night. We, of course, had pictures taken. We were going to go to an after-prom party. They always had those through the school. And we went to his house, and when we got there, there was nobody there, and he wanted to show me around his house. Well, when we got to his bedroom, he threw me on the bed, and he raped me. And I I still very clearly remember that as he said, oh, you really were a virgin. And I had blood on my dress, and I wanted to go home. And he took me home, and I probably saw him a couple more times after that but said he was going to break up with me because I was very cold. That was what he took as me just turning off. He had no idea, neither did I at the time, that I ended up pregnant. And I did not tell anybody. I didn't share that. And my mom eventually took me to the doctor because I kept denying it. And even at the doc, when the doctor said, you are pregnant, I still denied it. It was just a very, very difficult time just getting through that. I did have an abortion. My mother had me taken to the hospital, and nobody talked to me. I had no idea what else to do. I just said, okay, okay. My mother was in a place where she'd finished school finally, but she was in a place where that was all she thought of too, that we just needed to end this. My life changed internally. I felt lonely. I felt dark. I felt different. I went to school, but I wasn't a part of school. I dropped out of all activities. My friends even said, what happened to you in school? You just kind of disappeared. And it's true. I disappeared because I was different now. So you were a junior in high school and this guy was a senior. I want people to realize at the moment she'd been taken advantage of. What did she do? Where did she seek? attention for where is she going to get help with so carol tell us about how your dad and your mom they were able to start having a conversation after the divorce it didn't happen right away my dad would stalk my mom basically follow her to work follow her at coming home and in fact when my mom finally finished with school my mom went out with a friend of hers a girlfriend She just said, don't tell your dad. I I don't want any scene from any of this. Well, she wasn't gone, but a few minutes of my dad came to the door and I let him in. And he said, where's your mom? And I said, 
I don't know. She didn't tell me the name of the place. And he took his gun and pointed it at me and said, if you don't tell me, I will shoot you. And I said, and this was by the grace of God, I said, go ahead, because I don't know where she's at. And if I did, I wouldn't tell you. And he took me along with him as he drove around town looking for her. So it wasn't anything that happened right away. It was probably at the most, maybe a couple years later that my mom was working full time now. And so things seemed to settle down more. My brother, at the same time, he was trying to figure out, you know, where he fits in as well. He was adjusting to life as we knew it now. My mother did get remarried. And this gentleman was as abusive as my dad was. And she ended up leaving that relationship. And the thing about that is my dad was there to help move her furniture out of this house. And that is when they started to become friends. My mom saw him more now as a helper. His life was still moving forward, but there was some healing as we were moving forward. But the interesting thing is that I knew some of God. I went to a Catholic church and I, my mom had me in catechism for a while. I knew of God. So the interesting thing is I would have conversations with God, but I still didn't know much more about it. All I knew is that I could talk to him and I knew that there was somebody there listening and that was it. And each time one of these things would happen, an encounter with my father, I had such a peace. I couldn't explain it to you at the time because I didn't know what that was. I want everybody to start preparing your heart for what you're about ready to hear. As Carol's going to tell her story, I want you to hear her talk about the peace that comes into her after this really challenging time in her life. Tell us what happened when you and your mom decided to move in with your father. Prior to leading up to this, mother took over guardianship of my two cousins. They were about three and four at the time. And she was working full time. She now had younger children to take care of. She never did get child support for my father. And so my mom was tired. She was just a very tired person. My dad decided to buy a large home. He sat down with my brother and I, and my brother had gotten married. And so I am now almost 18. So he sat down, told us what he was going to do. And he said, you know, your brother and his wife can live in the basement and I will live on the main floor. My two cousins could live on another level and my mom and I could live on the second level. And he said, that would just really help everybody. I won't bother your mom and it would make life really easy for her. So my brother and I thought, well, this sounds great. And so it took some coaxing from my brother and I to get my mom to agree to this. When she talked to him, she said, get rid of the gun. And he said, oh, no, I've, I've gotten rid of the gun. I don't have that anymore. So it took a little bit of coaxing, but we finally did move in. We'd been living there maybe about a month. A couple that was a friend of my mom and dad's had asked my mother to go out to dinner. And they said, do you mind if we invite Frank. That's my dad's name. And she said, no, that's fine. And it was September 5th, 1976. So my mom and dad went to dinner and she wasn't gone very long, within 30 minutes. She came back and I was there with my boyfriend, Randy, who I eventually did marry. She came home and she was very angry. And I said, what happened? And she said, your dad got drunk. He hasn't changed, 
And he started mouthing off and I got up and left him and told him to find a ride home. And I said, well, mom, you need to go upstairs, shut the door, do not come back out. So she went upstairs and shortly after that, I told my boyfriend, we need to go look for my father. And I knew the restaurant they had gone to wasn't too far from where we had lived. So we took off and we weren't gone maybe 10, 15 minutes. And I said, we need to get back home. We're not going to find him, but we need to go home. And we were within a block of the house and there were the sirens, the police, the ambulance. And I knew immediately something was wrong with my mother. And I just jumped out of the car. The car hadn't even stopped. And I took off running to the house. There were policemen near the front door and they were holding me back from going in. And I just kept saying, what is wrong? Where's my mom? What's going on? And finally, a neighbor was there and said, you need to go to the hospital. They took your mom to the hospital. I immediately got in the car with my boyfriend. We took off to the hospital. They put me in a room. And I just was talking to the Lord saying, God, my mom's going to be so mad at my dad. I don't know what we're going to do. So I'm having a conversation with God thinking my mother's injured. And it wasn't too long after that the doctor came in and told me my mom died of a gunshot wound to the head. I just knew that God was there because a calm came over me. My brother showed up right after that, and I was able to talk to him. And then shortly after that, my two cousins were brought in because they were there asleep. They never heard anything. And that's a gift, praise God, that they slept through the whole thing. So they came in, and I talked to them, and then they took them away. Social services took them away. And then the chaplain came up to me and said, would you like to go pray? And I said, you know, I'm okay. Whether I was or not, I was having my conversations with God. Now, again, I just knew a little of God. I didn't have a relationship as far as what does that mean with Jesus? After that, my dad was arrested. The media was driving by the house like crazy. I couldn't go outside. I did have friends come and pick me up and take me for rides. My dad was in jail the whole time. My brother would go visit him. I did not. We met with the district attorney, and the district attorney really wanted to make a case of this. He was out to get my father. So we met with him, and my brother said, please do not show my sister any pictures of what happened. Do not do that to her. And he agreed. When the trial finally came, and they put me on the stand, and here I am, an 18-year-old, sitting on the stand with my father in front of me, very emotional time for me. Sure enough, the district attorney laid the pictures out, and it was more of a ploy what he was doing. And again, God protected me. I cannot tell you to this day what those pictures look like. I had no clue what they were, and he protected me from that. My dad ended up getting work release program. He never did serve any time other than in jail till the trial was held, and then he was on a work release program. And through all of this, my brother still had a relationship with my dad. I really did not. I did go to see him one time at the work release program. That was it. Once he got out, I had a darkness in me, and I knew I could not live with that anymore. About six months after he was released, I went over to his house, and I said, Dad, I forgive you. And he didn't really reply to any of that. He never really ever said he did do that. And I was okay with that because I wasn't waiting to hear anything from him. I just knew that in order for me to move forward, 
I needed to forgive. And I did. I truly forgave him. And it was after that that I had a relationship with him and he'd come over to the house. I had my oldest son. My dad just adored my older son. He had such a relationship with him. It was a very special bond. He had not a strong relationship with my other son because we had moved away by then. My husband and I, he got a job in Oklahoma and we moved to Oklahoma. We had been there a very short time and my brother had flown out. My brother, he was a musician and through that time then he decided he wanted to be a pilot. He wanted to be a commercial pilot. He was getting his license. He was able now to fly small aircraft was teaching. He had some students. So my brother flew out to Oklahoma and he had brought my dad. He was remarried now and he had a daughter. My niece was about a month younger than my son. So my son was about four years old at that time. So they came out to see us. It was a week after he had been out to see me that I got a phone call and he had died in a plane crash. He was flying out of Aspen with one of his students, and the plane stalled, and my brother died on impact, but the student did live. I had now lost my brother, who was probably my greatest bond through all of what we had gone through, because he lived it with me. As hard as it was losing my mother, it was very difficult when I lost my brother. Before we go on, what I want you all to realize is that Carol's story had a lot of hurt in it. Once you start healing from one thing, you're not having to heal through another. But there were some key things that she has said through this story. Is that she had a calm that came over her. And there's something really powerful when you know that there is a God that loves you. And that there is a God that's going to take care of you. He has a plan for what you're going to do. I want to encourage you guys, as you're listening, have you had to deal with some challenging things in your life? I want to encourage you as you persevere to keep going forward, but take a moment to forgive, just like Carol forgave her father. Because once she did that, that set her free. But when her brother died in the plane crash, A new set of hurt was there. Before we get into this next part of your story, can you provide some encouragement to the listeners? What were some of the things that you had to do to start healing? Or what's some things that you did that didn't really help you heal either? I met a lady while I was in Oklahoma, and that was one of the places that, you know, God had me there for a reason. The ladies I was surrounded with at my work all loved the Lord. They had Bible studies at my work during break, and one of the ladies invited me to her church. And so I started getting to know God a little bit more through the teachings. So that helped me when I found out about the death of my brother, that God was in all of it. God was still there. After your brother passes away, you moved to Greeley, Colorado. Tell us what brought you guys back to Colorado and... What did you end up doing while you were there? My husband was transferred to Greeley, and he worked at a wholesale electronics store. And I was pregnant at the time, so I had my second son here. I got into banking, eventually just kept moving up into banking and started doing mortgage loans. 
And it was while I was in the mortgage loan business that my marriage became strained. I think we just kind of lost relationship with each other. But I had an affair with a realtor for two years. It was one of the most selfish things that I could do. But we snuck around for two years. My husband and I separated during that time. It was after the separation then that he had learned the true reason that led me to the separation was because he wanted to go to counseling. And I said, no, it was during this two years then that the gentleman who I was having an affair with, his wife found out. Then it was just a very hard life. We changed to not only his children's and his family's life, but my children's life. Now, all of a sudden, my kids are going through divorce. And what does that look like? So it was a very devastating time for both of our families. When I was listening to your story, what was very interesting to me was the things of our world impact us. Where did you feel like you started separating from Christ during this time? Because I had not healed from my past. Everything from my past, which was a void, a void of losing my childhood, a void of losing my virginity, a void of losing my mother, a void of losing my brother. I was talking to God, but I wasn't truly surrendering. The selfish part of me was still trying to fill a void instead of letting God actually take all of it and help me work through it. And one of the things I did once this affair broke out, I went to a priest because that's just what I thought you do. And I was told because I wasn't Catholic, he couldn't help me. And then I went to a Christian counselor who worked at a school, and she told me she couldn't help me because her husband had an affair. And so she would not be able to help me. So I didn't know what to do with this. And I said, God, where do I go? And it was God who started replacing the pieces in my life. But it was a place where he totally stripped me in order to help me to heal from all of my past. But at the same time, I needed to also be there for my children and learn how to help them to heal through this process so that they wouldn't go through this themselves. I'm glad you're sharing this because I think this is something that people need to understand is even having an affair or something like that, you can still be forgiven because God is a merciful God. On earth, suffering is going to be here no matter what, but you have a choice. Do you allow that suffering to cause more pain and sorrow or do you allow that suffering to turn into joy? This is why when you added this part to your story, when I was listening to it, I was just kind of shocked. But at the same time, you had to learn how to forgive so that way you could receive forgiveness and you can heal. Tell us now, how did you start that process? I started attending Bible studies. And the Lord just led me to a church, to a wonderful pastor, to just wonderful brothers and sisters in Christ. As I started learning more of the Lord, it helped to free me up of the past sins. I knew that God forgave me, but I needed to go to every single one of 
not only to my children, but to the family that I destroyed, I needed to ask for their forgiveness as well. Dan, who I had the affair with, his ex-wife, she and I were able to talk. And I shared with you that even now we hug each other. Dan's children have forgiven me. My children have forgiven me. They know that it is all God. It is not of us. Dan, we married. We've been married now almost 25 years. Dan's ex-wife, she said, you know, I used to cry and cry after the affair. And I said, you know what? I did too. And I said, but look at what God has done. And we hugged each other. That's healing. That's God. And that's what we can praise God for, is that people can look at us and know that in Christ, anything is possible. The Lord had led me to write a devotional last year. It's a daily devotional. My oldest stepdaughter was able to take this book and share her testimony through this book and tell people how much she disliked me, but that what God has done now in restoring and able to use what happened for his glory. Yeah. What is the title of your devotional, and where can they find it? It's called But God, A Devotional with Jesus, and it's on christianbook.com. It's at Barnes & Noble. It's on amazon.com. Her book will be in the link in the description. I want to encourage you to really understand when you are having situations in your life, when you're having to seek forgiveness and you're having to receive forgiveness, it's not easy. What's beautiful about this story is that forgiveness did come. Are there people that you need to forgive or are there people that you need to seek forgiveness from? Because just like Carol's story, she was able to get the healing from the Almighty God and allowed her to help others heal through her sins or that she had and other people's sins. And the healing came through the Almighty God and His glory. And I want to encourage you to do the same, to really seek Christ. He will set you free. We live on this earth, but the best thing that we can do is to help others persevere through their challenges as well as you persevere through yours. Carol, it's been an honor to have you on my Perseverance Podcast. Thank you so much. Thank you. I'm just honored to have met you and to hear some of your story. And praise God for what he's done in your life, too. Thank you. So that wraps up the Perseverance Podcast. Here comes the Perseverance Corner. This is Matthew 6, 14-15. For if you forgive men their trespasses, your Heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you don't forgive men their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. If you do not forgive those that have hurt you, how are you going to be able to receive forgiveness? God himself forgives us for all the things we've ever done, even putting his son on the cross. But have you really forgiven yourself for the things that you've done in your life? Have you forgiven those who have hurt you? 
have made your life very difficult. Just like Carol's story, full of a lot of unforgiveness, but when she surrendered her life to Christ and embraced forgiveness, forgiveness she was able to give and forgiveness she was able to receive. Just like her husband's ex-wife forgave her even though it was so painful. It's the same thing when my friend was murdered. I forgave the murderer. I didn't forget, but I forgave and allowed me to be able to heal. This is so important as you persevere through your challenges in life. Is to really wrestle. Are you forgiving people around you? And are they receiving forgiveness from you? Let's be honest. You're not perfect either. And it's important that we as individuals look at forgiveness and empower ourselves with this understanding that if we forgive ourselves and forgive others and receive forgiveness from others, it is more powerful in pushing us through the hardest times of our lives. Because the next time, it's not going to be easy, but you'll understand the tools to move forward. So here comes the announcements. So the first announcement is an update on the See Me Cane, Where Are We? And if you're new to this podcast, the See Me Cane is a lighted blind cane that I invented. It took me about six years to get to where I am today. And we officially went to market in February. And as I run my own business and entrepreneur, I like to provide you guys updates where we're at. And we currently have landed a successful investment and we're working on getting more investments in to meet our goals i traveled to helen Keller national center and had a great time there and really was able to influence the students and show them the semen cane it was something else though because i had a full circle moment and you're gonna have to see those videos on tiktok and instagram of me having that full circle moment and seeing how God used my healing to help them, but as well having them experience to see me came for the first time was also just an amazing experience for me because I literally was at Helen Hill National Center just pouring my life into these individuals and saying, I now giving you a tool that will help you navigate the world as well. And it was incredible. Here is your second announcement. So don't forget that we had the Perseverance Through the Bible on the last Friday of every month. Definitely encourage you to use this opportunity to really reflect in your own life. How can you use these individuals' lives to empower your lives as they go through their challenges? I'm going to challenge you in different ways. And I want you to be able to use these challenges in a way where you as an individual can overcome your challenges. So that's all my announcements for now. Like I always say, go live beyond your challenges and I will see you in two weeks. Now you're ready to persevere for your challenges today. Thank you for joining me on the Persevering Podcast. If you'd like to get a hold of me, you can email me at Kelvin at PerseveringPodcast.com You can also follow me on TikTok, Facebook, Instagram, 
and YouTube at Deafblind Potter. If you'd like to buy some merch or some Deafblind Potter pieces, you can go to DeafblindPotter.com. Please give us a five-star rating and subscribe to the Persevering Podcast so you don't miss an episode. That way, you and I can continue living beyond our challenges and persevering through them too.